Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, just before we get into our teaching time, I just wanted to say a word of thanks, because uh, yesterday there was a, a group of us, about 35, 40 of us, who met in the rain to go collect garbage in our neighborhood. I know, these are the hardcore. <laughs> Paul Slater said to me this morning, he's like, I'm a lot drier than I was yesterday, as we were literally like dripping by the end of it. But like, it was a good time as we got together, and uh, we, there's a picture here of the amount of garbage, do we see that? That's what we picked up, and uh, like we, this group worked hard going down both sides of the path behind us, going to both sides of the creek. We almost made it all the way to Highland, and, that was, and before we got too wet and too cold and needed to call it quits, yeah, I said, today is not the day we're getting pneumonia. We'll just pick garbage until we're done. And it was a great day and a great opportunity to be able to get to know each other, to, have, to uh, just to, to do something where we can t- come together and embody, you know, who we are as followers of Jesus, that we want to make a real-life difference in our neighborhood, in this place that we are set. You know, we, we are for this neighborhood. We want to embody Jesus in this neighborhood, and this is just one way that we practice doing that. And so thank you to the team that was a part of that, and uh, stay tuned. Maybe we'll do it again next year. And it'll probably rain then, too, because it's April in Canada. There you go, in Ontario. So there you go. Have you ever had somebody close to you tell you something that they were really, really uh, excited by, and in the process you found that you involuntarily just rolled your eyes? Have you ever had that? It's just the way that they talked about that thing that they were really excited about. You could almost couldn't help yourself but be like, oh, my goodness, like, I can't believe they think that. Uh, You ever had that experience? That's just me, right? Yeah, okay, okay. Well, in my experience, I can think about a time when, a few years ago, when, you know, everybody around me was, was talking about these things called essential oils, and uh, these are these extracts that are marketed and having these wide variety of purposes and, and benefits to them, and you might be in this four essential oils. This is how you divide a church, by the way, is you talk about essential oils at, right, right off the get-go. Um, and for me, at least the claims initially were like, I, really? Like, I, I can't do this. I, like, I, there was skepticism, there was suspicion, and it wasn't even so much about the things themselves, but it was the way that people were talking about the things themselves that just made me go, I don't know about this. You know, for some of us, an experience like this, where somebody comes to us and they're super duper excited about this thing that we don't know anything about, for some of us, that generates curiosity. And if you're somebody who, you know, gets curious and leans in and wants to know more about it, good for you. You're an amazing human being. Um, for people like me, you know, when something like that happens, I can become dismissive. I can become critical. I can be, find myself hoping that they're going to be proven wrong because, of course, I know everything and they know nothing. And I can be really dismissive and even against the things that I don't understand. This is what I'm warning. I can be dismissive and even against things that I don't understand. You know, when it comes to the topic, topic of faith and spirituality, we need to recognize that someone responding with suspicion and maybe criticism, well, that's not abnormal. In fact, for some of us sitting here this morning, this might be where we're coming from. You know, whenever people talk about Jesus, we find ourselves trying really hard not to roll our eyes because what they're talking about doesn't, doesn't mesh with how we see and understand the world that we live in. Um, And not only that, but our experience with people who call themselves Christians uh, doesn't make us want to lean in and find out more. In fact, our our experience with, with Christians can sometimes make us feel very suspicious of whatever it is that they're talking about. And you know what, if that doesn't represent us this morning, we need to realize that that represents people in our lives. That our coworkers, our friends, our family, the people we go to school with, that there are people in our lives who at best find themselves being fairly suspicious about 
Jesus and what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, last week we began a sermon series looking at the letter of 1 Peter. And what we're looking at is how this letter can speak to us today as we navigate these relationships that we have with people who don't know Jesus and, and don't, aren't familiar with the story of following Jesus and, and folks who might naturally find themselves being a little bit more suspicious of, of those of us who are followers of Jesus, Jesus. And we're looking at the book of 1 Peter to sort of help us navigate it because I think that there are some touch points for us. Now, we don't know much about how the message of Jesus made it to the areas of modern-day Turkey that this letter of 1 Peter was sent to. The New Testament doesn't record for us any accounts of the apostles going to these specific places. But what is actually interesting is that three of these places that are mentioned at the opening of of Peter's letter that we we read about last week, uh, Cappadocia, Pontius, and Asia, are mentioned in Acts chapter 2 as Luke uh, talks about what happened on the day of Pentecost. And if you remember, on the day of Pentecost, we are told that the city of Jerusalem is full of people who've traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish festival of the Passover. And this is when the Holy Spirit shows up. And the Apostle Peter uh, starts preaching, starts telling people about Jesus. And we are told that that day, that 3,000 people decided to follow Jesus. Well, those folks, at some point, had to go home, didn't they? They couldn't stay there forever. Maybe they stayed for a bit longer and they they learned some stuff. But at some point, they had to go home. And when they went home, they must have taken that story of what they'd seen, what they'd heard, that experience with them. And while they would have encountered some, maybe they encountered some folks who were interested in their experience, they would have also encountered some folks who at best were suspicious because what they heard about Jesus didn't connect with how they understood the world and what life was all about. And so 1 Peter is a letter of encouragement aimed at helping these folks, these followers of Jesus, figure out what does it mean to live as followers in Jesus when other people are looking at you and your faith with suspicion. And so this morning we're going to pick up reading where we left off last week and we're going to look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 starting at verse uh, 13 and we're going to read uh, to chapter 2 verse 3. Therefore... With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges these persons work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are now in God." Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that, you, uh, so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, 
now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, this passage begins with the word, therefore, which is an indicator that the passage we read this morning is very much connected to what we looked at last week. And last week, we looked at how Peter was, was talking about the message of hope. He calls it the living hope uh, for the followers of Jesus who are reading this, that they have this living, vibrant hope that they can rely on. And well, now in this passage, Peter is building on that theme of hope by talking about what does it mean to live this out? And so there's a continuation of what we talked about last week. And so the big idea that we're going to explore this morning is that followers of Jesus have been given a new identity that is expressed in our love for one another. We've been given a new identity that is expressed in our love for one another. And that's the big idea that we are exploring as we look at this passage today. And it starts with this very first point. That Jesus gives his followers a way of understanding their, their value and their purpose. Jesus gives his followers a, a way of understanding their fundamental, basic value and purpose. I'm going to start at this point. I'm going to transition. I'm just going to tell a bit of a story here that we're going to kind of hold on to for a couple moments. I want you to imagine with me a junk shop. One of those stores that you walk into and it's full of odds and ends that you can't figure out why anybody held on to. And it's one of those floor-to-ceiling sort of places where you can find everything. Over there's the baby stuff. Over there's the kitchen stuff. Somewhere in the middle is some weird ornamental decor stuff. There's the pots over there in the corner. You understand, one of those places, there's books, floor-to-ceiling, about six deep. You can, under, you can kind of picture one of these places. One day, a man walks into a junk shop and there he finds a bowl that had been clearly used to pot flowers at some point. I mean, it had been such, so quickly donated and shelved that there was still a little bit of dirt stuck to the side of the bowl, and there was a crack on it. And, as, and this bowl wasn't easy to get to either. In fact, to find this bowl, he had to dig through the piles to find it. And it clearly was something that nobody in that store, when they stocked it, if you can say that they stock a store like that, they clearly didn't think that it was that valuable. Well, the man found this bowl, and he instantly knew that he'd found something special. And so he went, and he purchased it, and he took it home, and he painstakingly cleaned it up, cleaning it so that the dirt kind of came out of the pores of that bowl, and he was able to, to restore it and even repair the crack that was in the side of it. And when it was done, it was a, he re, it was a fantastically beautiful porcelain bowl that looked amazing, looked so different than how he found it. And he placed it in a place of honor in his house, and he put inside that bowl some decorative ornamental eggs that, that were needing to be stored and needing to be shown off, and this bowl was just, it was perfect. Now imagine that the original owner of that bowl turned up at, the next day at that store. Because you know what? They were starting to do some gardening, and they missed their bowl. They had a flower to put the pot, and you know what? The only thing that would work is that old bowl, so we need to go find that old bowl. And so they show up at the store, and they're looking for their bowl, and the owner says, it's been sold. And, and for some reason, I don't know why this part of the story doesn't make sense, the owner said, here, here's the address of the person who bought the bowl. <laughs> That's like a vast like, breach of privacy, okay? Um, but if that happened, hypothetically... <laughs> The old owner of the, bowl shows, uh, of the bowl shows up and says, I want my bowl back. Would it be fair to give back the bowl? I mean, the person who purchased it, he purchased it. He spent his own money. And not only did he spend his own money, he had put time and energy to clean up and to restore and to repair that bowl. It no longer was for potting plants. It now had a grand purpose. 
that far exceeded what it was being used for in the, in the past. It, in fact, it would be an insult, an injustice for it to be used to pot flowers again. You know, as we read this passage from 1 Peter, in a, in, a, in a way, while Peter doesn't use the language of the bowl, Peter wants us to see that as followers of Jesus, we're kind of like this bowl. And the word that is used in different translations in verse 18 is ransomed. And in what I read here today, it's the word redeemed, which means that followers of Jesus have been bought back, just like an item has been bought back from a junk store. And Peter points out that, that followers of Jesus, uh, they, they have been used to, to other, being used for other purposes, and he calls them empty or futile practices. But now that God has entered into this junk, junk shop and has paid the ultimate price for them, they've been given a new purpose for their lives. And so Peter is calling his readers, and he's calling us to embrace that we have been given a new life, through, and he says embrace it through straight thinking, which he describes as minds that are alert and are fully sober. You know, you and I are, are like this bowl bought in the, in the shop. We've been purchased, and we have been cleaned up, and we've been put to a new and better use, a greater honor than we had before. And we're supposed to remind ourselves of this. Followers of Jesus are to remind ourselves of this and to not let any previous influences try to move us back from where we came. Peter calls our previous state ignorance because, hey, we didn't know any better. But now we do. And so he says we are to live up to this identity that God has given. And this means dedicating every area of our lives to God. And this is the holiness that Peter is talking about. Now, in a minute, we're going to talk about how Peter describes what one aspect of what holiness looks like for followers of Jesus, but I'm just going to pause and just reflect here for, for a moment. Because, you know, honestly, I didn't come up with the imagery of the bull, the illustration of the bull. I'm not that creative, so I borrowed it from somebody else. But I use it this morning because I think it can help us visualize something about what Jesus has done for us and how that should transform us at a very deep level. You know, God loved us so much that he did all the work to find us. And for some of us, we resonate with the fact that this bowl in this, illustra- in this illustration was found discarded and, un- and under an unwant- a pile of other unwanted items. That's where this bowl was found. But God has done all the work to come and to find us, knowing the hidden value of each of us. And he wants to lovingly restore us and redeem us so that we can be that beautiful valuable person that he created us to be. And because of that, when we follow Jesus, we are being made new. You know, Jesus paid the ultimate price. This is what we celebrated at Easter. But because of Jesus, we are being made new. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so for some of us, the invitation this morning is to accept that Jesus has done everything necessary for us to experience him making us new. That the brokenness and the shame that we might feel that, that God wants to come into our lives and he wants to make us something that we can't even imagine for ourselves. And for some of us, that's what we need to accept this morning. Now, the temptation is to feel the influences of, of, uh, around us that would keep us from fully living in that purpose. That would keep us from fully embracing that value and meaning that Jesus has given us. And so for some of us this morning, what we need to hear is the reminder that Peter is giving these people here, the reminder that, that, that God has made possible in our lives um, things that we thought would have been impossible. And the, and, the, and the challenge here is to be intentional about living within this Jesus-given identity. 
And Peter says that we are God's children. That is who we are. And because we are God's children, that we are to dedicate our lives to him. Now, as we think about who God is and words that describe God, one of the primary words that describe who God is and what God is about is love. It's, it's a part of how God reveals himself to Moses in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 34. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, we read the simple statement, God is love. And this understanding that God is love should shape how we, how we look at God, how we understand how God is at work in us, how God is at work in the world, and it should shape how we understand God's holiness. And Peter, in this, in this passage, call, calls Jesus' followers, he calls us to emulate God's holiness, to be holy as God is holy. Well, God's holiness, that is his perfection, is expressed in love. And as a result, and this is our second point this morning, our love for one another demonstrates our commitment to who Jesus has made us. Our love for one another demonstrates our commitment to who Jesus has made us. In verse 22, Peter talks about how now that his readers have purified themselves, that is his way of saying, now that you've accepted the invitation to follow Jesus for yourselves and and are being made into new people, now that you've done that, they are to love one another deeply from their hearts. And I think as Peter says this, he has in mind his experience with Jesus. When when Jesus says this to his disciples in John chapter 13, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my my disciples, if you love one another. That's three times. Did you catch that? I think Jesus is repeating himself on purpose here. Loving one another is key. You know, Jesus calls this a new command. And this new command to love one another is rooted in Jesus' own relationship with his disciples. And as a result, his disciples are to take their experience with God that they've experienced through Jesus, and they are to turn that into their relationship with one another. And the impact of this will not only be felt among followers of Jesus, it won't just make other people's lives better, but it becomes a part of the testimony of who Jesus is and what Jesus is about to those who are on the outside looking in, perhaps with suspicion. Now, we do recognize that that Jesus also teaches us to love our enemies, and so love is something that as followers of Jesus is is something that's supposed to be generously practiced. But in Jesus' teaching here in John 13 and what Peter is talking about in the passage that we read today, I think we we get the idea that there's something powerful and there's something transcendent about the relationships that exist between followers of Jesus. And it's to be a part of how we gently confront the suspicion of those who might not understand our, follow, our story as followers of Jesus. Perhaps you've, uh, you've seen a meme like this online. There's quite a few versions of this. Uh, you know, it says, you got God, you know, I said love one another. People, okay, but what if they, and God says, did I stutter? You know, there's a couple versions of this out there, but it, it kind of gets at the idea that unfortunately for many of us, we can hear the command, love one another, and we can think, yeah, that's a great idea. We should do that. And then what comes to mind is all these buts. What about this? What about that? What about this? And we miss, in the process, we miss the opportunity to both live in obedience to Jesus and to show what Jesus is about because we find ourselves actually withholding love for one another in the process. 
You know, I think that Peter understands that the idea of loving one another can seem, to be, can seem vague and can seem abstract. And so at the beginning of chapter 2, he lists some things that are the opposite of love. He says, rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, evil, and slander of every kind. Get rid of it. You know why you're supposed to get rid of it? Because they're relationship killers. They really are. These are the things that will sink your relationship with your partner, with, with your kids, will, will make things difficult at work, will make things difficult in your street with the people that you live with at school. These are relationship killers, and they're church killers too. Malice is the, is the desire to harm someone and can hide behind what looks at face value like good actions. Deceit is the deliberate attempt to mislead somebody by telling lies. Hypocrisy is when we pretend that, to be somebody that we're not. When we pretend that we're somebody that we're not, we're not in genuine relationship with other people. We're actually withholding ourselves. We know what envy, and, envy is. Envy is a longing for what other people have. And slander is literally talking down to other people. And Peter, later on, will talk about how the experience of these Christians is that they are, they are being slandered, where people are trying to ruin their reputations by the things that are being said. And Peter says, none of this is supposed to be a part of your life as followers of Jesus, because all of these things get in the way of love. Now, if we reverse these things, we get a picture of love. You know, love does not act from spite. It acts for the good of the other person. You know, love does not act with selfish, selfish motivations. You know, it is honest and it's open-handed in its dealings with, one, with other folks. You love does not desire to be better than others or to destroy the reputations of others. Rather, love rejoices in the successes of other people and is happy to give away praise and credit. Love is, is so much. We could go to 1 Corinthians and we could read all the things that love is. You know, one of the things that I think we've come to realize in, in new ways over the past few years is that there's quite a few things that can really easily divide us from one another. Whether it's, it's our view on politics or our view on social issues or morality or economic, economic realities or how we see things like gender and sexuality, there are all sorts of opportunities for us to divide into us and thems, into the rights and the wrongs. There's all sorts of opportunities for us to step back and distance ourselves from other people. We know this is true in society. We know this is true in our families. We know it's true within, our, within church communities. We know this is, this is true in the church as a whole, the broader global church, that there are no shortage of opportunities for us to divide. But division, animosity, and distance, those are normal, and those are easy. What is hard and what Jesus talks about when he says to his disciples that they, what, what is hard is what Jesus talks about here when he says to his disciples that they are to love one another. But this is the life that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, wants to grow in us. Because the way of love brings freedom and joy in ways that division and animosity simply can't. You know, for the most part, our family and friends, they don't care about our doctrine. They really don't. What they care about is how we treat others, especially those people that we disagree with. And so when we commit to practicing loving one another, we are creating an opportunity for people to see who Jesus really is. And what people long for is a place where they belong. We can do that and we practice that together. I saw a story this week that was based on a video that somebody took while they were driving around the GTA. 
Now, in, fair, in fairness, they weren't actually driving. They were stuck in traffic, and they were on a, on a, on a, in a set of lanes that was merging from one highway onto the other, and they weren't going anywhere. Uh, but from where they were seated in, seated in traffic, they could see that the people in front of them, there were some people in front of them that were getting really impatient, and they, the people in front of them noticed that where they wanted to go was just across this grassy median, and so they started just to drive across the grassy median. And it wasn't just one person or two people. There was the video included about seven or eight people who decided that this way wasn't working for them anymore. They wanted to go that way. And there was this well-worn, well unofficial, but well-worn road from one set of lanes and set of lanes of traffic onto another one as people said, nuts to this, I'm going that way. And as I watched the video, I had two thoughts. The first was, I wonder if our Toyota Corolla could pull that off. It's a little bit small, I'm not really sure. Some bu one bump and the thing would be done. Uh, the other thought that crossed my mind is, I, I wonder how hard it would be just to not follow suit when st stuck in traffic like that. If everybody, if I'm stuck in traffic and I've been waiting in the same place what feels like forever and I see everybody else going that way across the grass, how hard would it be to resist doing the same thing? You know, Peter knows that the temptation that these Christians, uh, these Christians were facing was just to begin to go with what everybody else was doing. I mean, they were the minority, and everybody else seemed to be experiencing a whole lot less opposition than they were. And if that began to be their focal point, if they began to become fixated on the fact that it was easier just to go with the flow, then they would soon lose sight of who they were and how they were to live out their identity as followers of Jesus. And so Peter directs them to be purposeful and invested in their relationship with Jesus. And this is our third and our final point this morning. That followers of Jesus embrace our identity and our love for others by growing in our love for Jesus. We embrace our identity by growing in our love of Jesus. You know, the passage begins with Peter calling these followers of Jesus to be alert and fully sober. That is to be purposeful and intentional and thoughtful about how they are following Jesus. And at the end of this passage, Peter uses the imagery of a newborn baby who is craving the nourishment it needs to grow healthy and strong, to grow into the grown person it was designed to be. And Peter says, be like that newborn. Be like that newborn and crave what will help you grow into a mature follower of Jesus. Crave the good stuff. And a few times in this passage, he talks about the, about, craving, about the word or the word of God. You know, he talks about the word that was preached to you. You know, when Peter talks about the word, he's referring to Jesus. You know, sometimes in Christian circles, we, we talk about the Bible being the word or the word of God. Well, in Peter's day, there was no the Bible as we know it. And in fact, if we read the beginning of the Gospel of John, we see that the early Christians looked at Jesus and they called him the word, the word that came from God. And so Peter here is reminding these Christians to stay connected to the life and teachings of Jesus and allow these to nourish them at the deepest level, to nourish their minds and their souls so that they could grow and mature in their faith. Because as they do this, as they lean into the life and teachings of Jesus, as they crave that nourishment, their faith will be strengthened and they will be better equipped to interact with those who might look at them with suspicion. You know, one of the things that's important to us as a church community is that we each have opportunities to be growing in our relationship with Jesus. And we think that this is important because as we get to know Jesus, we, we, we get to know God. We get to know God's love for us. And this shapes who we, under, who, we, who we are. It shapes how we understand ourselves. It shapes how we go about our relationships to and with one another. 
See, Jesus can really help us navigate the complexities of life, but we need to be intentional about being nourished by his teaching. And so let me encourage each of us to be purposeful and making sure that we take opportunities to get the spiritual nourishment that we need. In our personal lives, we need to make space to regularly sit down with, with, with the Gospels and to get to know Jesus perhaps all over again. And some, for some of us, that looks like reading. For others of us, let me, I, I, let's just acknowledge that reading isn't our thing. And the great thing about some of the Bible apps that are out there is it's audio. There's audio Bible that we can listen to. But, get, but being intentional about us sitting with Jesus is a key part of us seeking the nourishment that we need. And this isn't purely a private thing because you know what? There's something powerful about meeting with other followers of Jesus. So we have an opportunity to learn with others. We have an opportunity to learn from others. And, and this can happen in small groups. And it's a key part of what we're doing here this morning. But the big thing is that we are intentional about putting ourselves in a position where we can be nourished by Jesus. You know, as we wrap up this morning, I just want to say that this, this focus on Jesus is, not, is really not about accumulating a lot of head knowledge. Because we can know a lot of things, but knowledge doesn't necessarily, doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that it changes who we are at a deep level. Rather, what impacts us is, is what becomes real is when what we know about Jesus sinks into our heart and becomes a part, an essential part of who we are, that we actually have this growing relationship with him. See, as we get to know Jesus, we are invited to dedicate ourselves to him and to his ways. And as we do this, we experience him helping us through our fears. And in those moments when life seems, un, seems un, unstable, when, when the future seems uncertain, and in all of that, he can bring a strange sense of peace and a sense of direction. And so as we seek to, to, to know how do we navigate this world, how do we interact with people who are suspicious of our faith, how do we handle the complexities and the opportunities, because there are opportunities in front of us, let's be people who are, who are looking to Jesus to guide us. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to be a part of a community that is centered on you. And Lord, this morning we ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to our minds, Lord, that you would uh, help us to see you in, in a new way. And Lord, for those of us who are struggling today, Lord, we ask that you would, would speak to us in our places of struggle. Lord, some of us are, are, are struggling in, the, in our relationships. There are people in our lives that seem to be keen on making our, our lives difficult, and Lord, we don't know what to do. Lord, would you replace the, the temptation to become bitter and angry with a love and a concern? Help us to be people who are praying for the, those people who are making our lives hard. Lord, for others of us, we have, uh, we, we have a fu our future seems to be wide open and maybe uncertain at the same time, and Lord, we aren't sure what next steps to take. Lord, as we get to know you, would you, would you help us to, to know what directions to go? Would you help us to, to be able to trust you in uncertainty? Lord, even though we might not know the full picture, Lord, that we can feel confident that you are with us and leading us. Lord, for others of us, Lord, we, we are just, uh, we just really want to be raising kids that know you and love you deeply. Lord, would you help us to be a part of that? 
Would you help us as a church community to be cheerleaders for our, our, our kids, for our students, for our young adults, Lord? Would you help us to be good examples of what does it mean to fo- follow you and to love others, Lord? And Lord, to re- resist to buy into this us versus them thing that exists in our society. Lord, help, uh, help our kids to be able to see you at work in us. And Lord, when we see you and our kids, help us to notice that too. Lord, help us to be humble enough to see you at work and be willing to learn from our kids. Lord, we thank you for how you've spoken to us this morning. And Lord, as we get ready for the week that lies ahead of us, we just ask that you would help us to just trust you one bit at a time. Amen.